sometimes you sing a song and you look out and somebody's crying and you know that it's touched them. What I'm singing about or what went into that song has moved them. I think that's the ultimate reward or praise you can get for sitting there in the quiet of your own room or house or driving your wife crazy by going over and over with the same in one phrase or trying to get it right. And then you put this song together and then it touches and moves somebody. And, and conversely, when the whole joint's rocking and people are feeling great and they're forgetting about all the kind of petty squabbles they might have with people that have different ideologies or neighbors they don't get along with, they go, let's feel positive about it. That's what I hope people take from it. I'm Peter McCulley. For more than 40 years, Barney Bentall has been a part of the BC and Canadian music scene. We'll talk about where he's been and where he's going. Barney Bentall, when Today in BC continues. Searching for a new home? Make todayshomebc.com your online home base. With easy-to-search listings and connections to local realtors, everything you need is under one roof. Powered by Black Press Media, you can search hundreds of local listings all in one place. Access the top real estate professionals to help you find the perfect home today at todayshomebc.com. Bernie, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome, Peter. It's great to be here. I thought I'd ask if there was music in your family, but I see your dad was a minister when you were growing up on the prairies, so that's likely a yes. Peter, there was music. It was definitely church music. We had a piano, which I would tinker on, and then I just fell in love with rock and roll. I had an older sister who passed away a while ago, and she was just a fantastic person, and she was a big part of my musical education. I don't know where it all came, but I remember getting the first Elton John record. To this day, I can listen to that and be so inspired. And the memories are right there. And, you know, if my sister did look after me, she'd put me to sleep listening to Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands by Bob Dylan. It was the last side of Blonde on Blonde. It was a double album. And it was 14 minutes long. And you'd just go to sleep listening to that. There was music in that way. But there's a lot of music in the Baptist church, too. But it was pretty formal and, and structured. You were mentioning Elton John. I'm often reminded when I go back and listen to some of those old albums, we're around the same age, the amount of lyrics that were contained in the tunes as compared to, say, a hit on the radio today, there might be a total of two choruses and that's pretty much it, but Brown Dirt Cowboy or something, it, was, yeah. it would go for eight or nine minutes and it wouldn't be much in the way of a repeat. Yeah, I know, it's true. I'd have to analyze this, but it seems like there were more stories back then, too. There were a lot of songs, not in the sort of roots, Americana type of genres, but pop music, and there's a lot about feelings, as opposed to... I remember once hearing Kenny Rogers interviewed, and he said, I gotta get pulled in by the story. And then he gave that example. He said, in a bar in Toledo, across from the depot, in a bar stool, she took off her ring. And he goes... You just want to know what happens. And and you're afraid you know what's going to happen. You're pulled in that way. And I've always been drawn to a story and song. Your music has been described as a blend of country and folk and rock. And how would you describe your sound? Well, I listen to enough opera and classical music. I'm, I'm surprised it doesn't come in there, but I'm just not skilled enough. Or this bluegrass project we're doing, High Bar Gang. To me, it's all kind of filters in, but my palette, so to speak, that I can access to paint my musical pictures is limited because I'm a rock and roller from way back when and not a virtuoso by any stretch. So 
But yeah, those are the influences there. Folk's always been a big one. Before we talk about Bernie Bentall on the Legendary Hearts, tell me about some guy named Brandon Wolf. There's a singer from a band. His name is Brandon Wolf. And I thought, God, I got to look this up. Maybe his parents liked the Brandon Wolf band. I don't know. It's an unusual name, but I came from a fairly prominent family in the West Coast. And I think I just wanted my own identity when I set out to try and make a go of it in music. So we took stage names, basically. And that was mine, Brandon Wolf. It's got a great ring to it. Arguably better than Barney, but <laughs> Barney was my name. And then so at a certain point I went, screw it. This is who I am. So let's fully face that and go from there. As a young broadcaster growing up, it seemed like everybody I met always changed their name for some reason. There was always a better name than the one they were given. And I'm not sure why I even did it for a while, but. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. But I just used one of my middle names. What are they? Peter Hilton Stewart. Oh, wow. It's very regal. Well, I'm from the East, so everybody gets four names, and they're all the family names and whatever. Mine was Barnard Franklin Bentall, and it's all nauticum. It was his passion. But I think Franklin might have come from the Franklin Expedition. I've, I've thought about that. I've been able to go through the... We won't go into depth, but one thing I do is I go as a staff member on Adventure Canada trips to the far north. So I've gone through the Northwest Passage four times and, and gone over the Franklin ships, and I thought, yeah, that's where that name came from. It also was a family name, but and Barnard was a great uncle who was a sailor that died at sea. We have something in common. My grandfather, who was a sea captain on the East Coast, he died at sea at just 36. Really? Yeah. Wow. Maybe there's a song there somewhere. There might be. <laughs> we'll work on it after this. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about Barney Bentall and the Legendary Hearts. You produced six albums. Very yeah. popular band. Well, we had a really good run. And we're still all great friends, and we still play every now and again. It's funny, it was a 15-year span where we were really busy, and it seems like a huge part of my life. And then now I look back to this high bar gang, I think we're 13 years into that. It's remarkable, but that much time has gone by. When I look back to the Legendary Hearts, that era, it was just such a massive part of my life. And we had a good degree of success, and you know, I just learned so much from it. But they're all just dear friends to me. After Barney, Bentall, and the Legendary Hearts, and your six albums in the late 90s, you went all Ian Tyson on us. Started a cattle ranch and the caribou. And Did that life have any direct influence on your writing or musical styles? Yeah, it definitely had an influence. And I should clarify that I didn't start the cattle ranch. We jumped into one that goes back probably to the late 1800s, which we bought with two other partners. And learned a lot about life. And the reason that happened, you wonder why life takes the direction that it does. But in our case, we'd had such great luck at the label. And there was, it was a personality conflict. There was nothing to do with us. But in a place where we had felt such a great home, we all of a sudden didn't, that wasn't there. I was a bit burnt out and I was a bit disillusioned. And, you know, all through this, my wife and I have been raising four kids you know, I'd been off touring a lot and so much of the workload fell to her. But I think it was just like, okay, you got one life to live. Let's see what other adventures we can do. And I was never intending to give up music, but I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to be a cowboy? That's another cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got to work in Cattle Ranch and it just ended up taking up so much of our time. But such a interesting, rewarding experience. I think I'd like to write about that or incorporate it in things that I do. There's certainly lots of songs where, to address your question, were influenced from that time. Ballad of old Tom Jones, 
Ballad of Johnny Hook. Just back up on the horse. Wrote that after I got bucked off and broke a few ribs. I didn't set out to say, I'm going to sing songs like Ian Tyson. This is not my style. But yeah, some of the stories would come into the songs. And then we were a full rock and roll band. And I guess I gravitated. And I still love to do that, by the way. (laughs) It went a bit more folky, I'd say, than country. So you mentioned some of your long musical relationships. Tell us about Bentall Taylor Ulrich, trio with Tom Taylor and Sherry Ulrich and yourself. Well, we're here with Sherry and Tom's. They're just both dear friends, and we have such a great time playing together. In a perfect world, I'd love to do more high bar gang dates, more Bentall Taylor and Ulrich shows. But we get out when we can, and we do a little tour here and there and just have such great respect for Sherry as an artist and Tom as an artist and songwriter. They're high-quality songwriters, so to do that. And then Sherry has taught us so much about harmony, particularly me. I was a rock and roll singer, and she really has helped me in that way. You mentioned the High Bar Gang. Tell us about the High Bar Gang. Bluegrass group? Colin Nairn, who started the band, and his wife, Wendy, they started it. But Colin and I were in the Legendary Hearts. And still are. So our musical roots go back 40 years. And he had this idea of doing this. He was always really captivated by this music more than I was, to be truthful, until I started really getting into it. They just said, let's get a group of people together and form this bluegrass band. And I think the thing I liked about it, it took a lot to get grounded with it. And I still feel like I'm the first one to confess I'm an amateur at it. Having said that, we've been nominated for two Junos and we've (laughs) made some great records, two great records, and we're going to make a third. You know, some of the music is complex because of where it comes from. And there's some of the things are questionable in terms of some of their attitudes. I think there was certainly racist elements But, you know, if you look at the melodies and you look at it as stories and try and honor this music and hell, to go down that trail, music is tough. Like sometimes you have to just separate the music from the personalities and the people that are making it. It's always a tough thing. It's been a great adventure and I love when we get on play. It kind of scares me. Sometimes I feel like I just, damn it all, I just can't play fast enough. Here's a musical question about bluegrass and folk and some of the trios and now the group that you've been playing with. As a member of the Legendary Heritage, you're a rock and roll guy. At the heart of those bands is a set of drums. And now you're playing in a band that has no percussion. Yeah. Is that strange? No, because I love playing with a good drummer. And it makes your job easier. But a lot of what I do, I do a lot of solo shows. I do a lot of duo shows. Bentall Taylor Ulrich, there's three of us, no drums. High Bar Gang, no drums. And... Because I'm a right-handed guitar player, I just say it really improves your right hand. That rhythm has to come from everybody feeling each other, not slowing down, getting the backbeat there, the bass driving it. You can't just coast and let the drummer keep that beat. So definitely has its own rhythms, but it's challenging. If you're playing the solo shows, which I love, I like to keep reasonably in time. That's I'm, I, I have my pride in that way, but. Also, if you felt like you wanted to slow something down or push it or whatever, you're the only person up there, so it can go and it can feel quite natural. Yeah, Paul McCartney said, the rhythm's in the guitars. And he would know. Yeah, he would know. (laughs) Your hit single, Something to Live For, reached number one on the charts in 1992. Can you talk about the inspiration behind that song? Back then, we just wrote a lot. And the lyrics were written by my good friend, Gary Fraser, who's now a very successful lawyer, But back then, it wasn't until the record Gin Palace that I started writing lyrics. 
Before that, he would write the lyrics, and that was just a song he brought in about some person. It almost seems as appropriate today, except the making four bucks an hour. But somebody living at home and just trying to find their way and making their way in the world. The funny thing for me is it was maybe a little bit tongue-in-cheek, lyrically, but that's not the way it came out and was perceived. I always hear people say, or when the audience is singing it, got something to live for. And they feel that it's an inspiring emotion that comes out. How does that feel when you're on stage and people are singing back lyrics as you're singing them? That must be a pretty proud feeling. Oh, I love it. That's what you live for. That's something to live for, <laughs> to quote myself. I think it's fair to say that your music often features social and political commentary. Do you approach writing those songs differently? Ones that have that kind of commentary? Songs with a message. It's so hard to describe, and by describing, therefore, demystify the songwriting process. I don't tend to go, I'm going to write a song about this social justice issue. Here's the case, my record, Flesh and Bones, a song called Annabelle. And it's about a guy that is from a wealthy family, and he decides to go live in the downtown east side, because it's almost experiential. And he meets this woman who has a damaged past. You don't know where she came from. The overriding idea behind that song is that sometimes people can be very critical about people that are living in a tent city or struggling with addiction or living on the street. They should just get their shit together and get themselves out of it. But, you know, the people that do a lot of work with those people say everybody's got a story. And so I wanted to just give a version of everybody's got a story down there. A lot of them are not very pretty stories. I found the best way to do that, and I didn't want it to be preachy in any way. I just wanted to represent that and, and put it in story form, a way to make a point that everybody has a story. When Today in BC continues, Barney Bentall talks about giving back to the community. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. I'm Peter McCulley. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. What inspires you to continue making music, creating music, Bernie? Still got to make a living. And there's way worse ways to make a living. Sometimes you've had enough of the traveling. But yeah, there's not a huge social safety net for Canadian musicians. There are a few exceptions, but... Otherwise, keep doing and keep working. And I'm lucky that I still got the energy. My voice is so strong. I like doing it. It's a great way to make a living. What do you hope listeners take away from your music? Sometimes you sing a song and you look out and somebody's crying. And you know that it's touched them. What I'm singing about or what went into that song has moved them. I think that's the ultimate reward or praise you can get for sitting there in the quiet of your own room or house or driving your wife crazy by going over and over with the same in one phrase or trying to get it right. And then you put this song together and, and it touches and moves somebody. And, and conversely, when the whole joint's rocking and people are feeling great and they're forgetting about all the kind of petty squabbles they might have with people that have different ideologies or neighbors they don't get along with, they go, let's feel positive about it. That's what I hope people take from it. The whole range of emotions, I guess, is what I'm saying. Except anger, you know. I like them to be emotionally rich responses and joy and happiness. 
How does it make you feel to be able to make music with your son, Dustin? Fantastic. I think he's a killer songwriter. He just did four shows before Christmas opening for Blue Rodeo, and it's so much fun. The best part, and this will drive Blue Rodeo fans crazy, is Dustin can spin off songs left, right, and center. And it was a small ensemble with his band, the Blue Wranglers, his partner, Jamie Lynn, and uh, his mandolin player. After the shows would end, we would play. After Blue Rodeo finished the show, we'd play till one o'clock in the morning <laughs> doing guitar pull and swapping songs. Dust has a great ability to do that, and I think he writes wonderful songs. It's a real honor to play with him. And we've written a few together, which is great. Your music has certainly evolved over the years, as you mentioned. It would seem to me that a lot of folks have been on this journey with you, which says a lot about it in itself. Yeah, it always feels good. Last night I was in a theater watching Bruce Coburn, and before the show started, it was really nice. I was there with Leroy Stagger, it's a good friend, and people just kept coming up and talking about shows they'd seen. And I think I used to get more kind of embarrassed or self-conscious or shy in those moments. For me, last night it was just like, how wonderful and just spend a bit of time talking to the people and so i hope they come along with the journey and you might be in the grocery store and somebody comes up and they talk about a song that really meant something to them again i feel they feel like it's a very privileged position to be in when everything was shut down during the pandemic were you able to find a workaround for not being out on the road and and still be creative in the music business I think you said you had a whole list of things to do around your house i got a lot of stuff done cuz you know Idle hands are the devil's workshop or whatever it says. I did a lot of stuff that needed doing at the ranch. It's never going to be fully done. And I put out two records, Cosmic Dreamer and the instrumental record with Jeffrey Kelly from Spirit of the West, Ranch Writers, both of which are nominated for Canadian Folk Music Awards, which is very exciting. When you take traveling and touring out of the equation and you didn't feel like you had to keep that hustle going all the time, I was surprised how much time I had. And within that, you do some virtual shows, you do unique things like go play some theater space for five nights and 50 people would come a night and be masked up. And we found ways to get around it. Your humanitarian efforts are well known, such as the Hidden Homeless Project and the Building for the Future campaign through the annual Barney Bentall and the Grand Caribou Opry Charity Concert, which is a mouthful. They're widely recognized. Can you tell us more about your involvement in giving back to the community? I think my parents were really inspirational in that way. They gave back so much to the community, and they really had a social awareness. I mean, I'm not a church person per se. I feel like I have a strong spiritual side that I gravitate towards, but there is that biblical line to whom much is given, much is expected, or something to that effect. I think it's good for the soul to give back and to and, and try and make the world a better place. Seems like there's a lot of forces at play that are trying to rent the world asunder. Maybe in some level they're saying, oh, we want to make it better by ripping it all apart. But I think there's so much need out there. So if you can support something and help out and you've got a voice that comes with the territory. In the case of the Caribou Express, it's so damn entertaining for us to do. Everybody loves it so much. This last year, we raised over half a million dollars just doing these shows. Like 10 shows is an interesting formula we got going there. Charity gets involved, they promote the show, and then they go out and get song sponsors. So it's, it could be a law firm, a dentist, or an investment firm. And my co-host, Matt Masters, and I, we just write our monologues about some lawyer. Matt is so funny. 
And sometimes I hit the marks. I'm, I'm not a born comedian, but people don't even mind say at the law firm or the investment firm that they're getting kind of it's tongue in cheek. And then here they've given a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks to the charity. And so that was my idea 15, 16 years ago in a blink of an eye, it's going to be the 20th year. Can you share your plans? Uh, what have you got in the works for the future? I think I feel another record coming, but that's such a weird thing these days. I don't even know. I mourn the loss of the <laughs> olden days <laughs> when you put a record, everybody knew streaming wasn't such a big part of it. But I think in terms of making records, so I've got that and there's ongoing projects at the farm. I just keep doing what I'm doing. And then I think if we can all try and help collectively put energy towards making the world a better place, I think that's never quite enough of that going around. But there's lots of people doing lots of good things. So I just keep on keeping on. I'd like to thank singer-songwriter Barney Bentall for being with us on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send us a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and Google Podcasts.